Hi, this is Smriti Kirvanandan, your host for Health Forward Podcast. One of the most important things you can do for yourself is to take care of your health. Your road to discovering an all-inclusive, empathetic, and innovative healthcare ecosystem starts right now. Technology has been a blessing to our healthcare ecosystem. It has allowed us to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and innovative. The use of telehealth went from $3.6 million to $3.7 billion during the pandemic. Global big data and healthcare market is expected to reach $34.27 billion. Global artificial intelligence and healthcare market size is valued at $6.7 billion. The role of technology is really innovating and spinning the way we make healthcare and the way we view healthcare. In my episode today, I'm in conversation with Sujat Chandrasekharan, former CIO at Common Spirit Health, current board member at Cardinal Health, and is a wonderful mentor and an excellent technology healthcare executive. Suja, welcome to Health Forward. Such a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Smriti. Good to be here. Thank you. So Suja, tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and your journey into healthcare. So I am a software engineer. That's where I started my career. And uh, pretty soon, my focus enhanced and progressed to being a business technology leader, setting transformation strategies and executing on transformation agendas. I've been part of uh, retail and consumer-oriented companies and industries, leading, uh, leading those companies at some very key inflection points and moments in uh, consumer shifts, in, in technology shifts, in process shifts, and uh, human capital shifts. I've been part of healthcare for a number of years now. I've been with Common Spirit Health. I ran uh, digital tech and operations at uh, Common Spirit Health. And, uh, and I also sit on multiple boards. I sit on a couple of uh, healthcare boards as well as non-healthcare boards. Wonderful. I just love that you have a very deep and also very expansive uh, career such far and a much more impactful one. So thank you for so much for being here. You've just come from attending some major events in the healthcare industry, such as HLTH, RSNA, JPM Health. What are some of the key highlights you would like to share from all these wonderful events? Yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. And uh, the the tenor and the texture and the temperature in each of these events was very distinct, yet there were several commonalities. Of course, uh, starting with HLTH, very digital health focused, lots of entrepreneurial conversations, a lot of entrepreneurs, startups, early stage, late stage, good set of tech conversations, as well as some CEOs doing some keynotes. The key themes were certainly around health equity, collaboration, and different kinds of applications of technologies. So very interesting temperature, but I was a little bit lulled by almost a little bit of skepticism around AI and the impact of AI in healthcare. But then I countered that, I went to RSNA, which is the flagship radiology event in the nation, and totally wowed and floored with where the radiologists are and and their minds are. In, In seeing this AI and welcoming and embracing this as an assistive tool that can help the radio radiographers and all of those clinical people and as well as uh, other supporting professionals in addressing 
the volume and the throughput of images that goes through the hands of the, that industry. So a lot more of a welcoming mindset. Still, there is ways to go. It's still, I would say, very early in the, if, you, if this was a Gartner hype cycle curve, it's still very early in that stage. Nevertheless, the openness and the welcoming companies going either broader platform kind of thinking in terms of AI and algorithms or very deep into a particular anatomy. So either it is heart and heart related and all the different hundred different conditions to be diagnosed from an image or it's neuro, neuro and neuro related. So deep company focus, a broad company focus, but still very close partnerships with clinicians. So that was a totally exciting experience at RSNA. Likewise, JP Morgan was to- very interesting, mostly presented by chief executive officers and chief finance officers. So significant focus around growth and you focus around their strategies for growth, mergers and acquisitions. So that's an interesting segue to, okay, where are the trends, right? So what is my perspective? So my personal point of view, a lot of these ideas that have come up, and yes, some are nuanced and some have progressed along in different stages and rates. But there is definitely we are at the point at that inflection point of ideas, possibilities, and opportunities meet investments, funding, and regulations. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the funding situation in a minute. But I think it's time for execution. <laughs> this is about execution and scaling. <laughs> it's lie, right? It's, 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 uh, I think there's a lot of good people working hard on the execution, but as a collective industry, it's time to execute. Um, and I will also say real upset of focus around returns. So and the returns is not just financial returns, it's patient outcomes, it's quality, it's financials, but also it has to materially bend the cost curve for the industry. And it's the whole body care. So you've used the word value-based care quite a bit. And there are some people in the industry who are who consider that as a very jaded and phased out term. But nevertheless, it is coming fast and furious, right? Only 10%, <laughs> so less than 10% of their lives are value-based. But still, I, I, the industry generally believes that uh, that'll, that's going to spike significantly within the next 10 years. And of course, I, I, I look at things in healthcare very, very simply, right? It's about access. It's about equity of access and, and quality of care and outcomes. It is about bending the cost curve meaningfully, right? Really just focus on those three. But I also call this the four E's of the situation. Healthcare has to get more efficient. So technology has fundamentally plays a role in efficiency improvement, productivity improvement. Then there is the efficacy, the, the quality of care. And irrespective of the accuracy or the modality of where the care is provided, it's about the quality. And there it definitely the efficacy is enabled by data. Human capital in healthcare is burnt out. So a significant focus on human capital and and people-focused transformation inside healthcare. So those topics kept coming up over and over again in different ways, shapes, and forms. So let let me pause there. Yeah. No, I think the, those are 100% accurate. And what I love about your answer is, you know, you and I, I think more so you have been attending these conferences and so many topics. And sometimes it just feels like there's a lot of talk and a lot of buzzwords. And we're walking out thinking, who's really executing on this? Not to dismiss you know, people who are actually on the ground doing some incredible work, but where is the execution and where do we find the value in the value-based care? I think, you know, that's that's the interesting and the most challenging part in the ecosystem thus far. But, you know, you're spot on in the trends and thank you for sharing them. So what are some patient journeys are you seeing now that you see that would influence care delivery? 
Yeah, so there is maybe a little bit of more on what's what's also happening, right? Some numbers tell us the story as well. CMS latest report, U.S. The healthcare spending has reached four point three trillion dollars, right? I hear the number three trillion, and that sort of gets tweeted and retweeted quite a bit, but it's actually four point three trillion U.S. dollars. That's one key metric. Then, and then, and then that's on the one of the problems that needs to be addressed. One of the things, situations that need to be addressed. But then, from a technology perspective, wearables is growing at nineteen point five percent. Digital therapeutics growing at thirty two percent. Percentage of patients getting their care from retail clinics that is growing. Funding was a major topic, right? Funding is crucial to this innovation and companies getting launched. And the 2022 funding was about $22 billion, which is still considered robust, even though 2021 was a record. It was $28 billion in 2021. The Silicon Valley Bank is expecting healthcare fundraising to decline to, to about $15 billion, but still it's going to be pretty robust, right? $15 billion is nothing to sneeze about. So those trends do matter. And there is a ton of those money that is focused around patient journeys. It is around making sure that whoever it is, whether you're dealing with a patient that, let's say she's aged, she has multiple comorbidities, she's in and out of hospitals, she goes home and she and and she gets dropped by the system until the next episodic visit in the ER room gets admitted and the whole cycle continues. But but her journey moving towards much more of a end to end caregiving care providing journey with all possible health at home to take care of her across the continuum and take care of her if she needs additional support like transportation to clinics or maybe even health at home kind of monitoring, or even food safety. Or it also should address someone who is sort of in the middle of their career, and they are, it's not an, uh, it's a, it's a pretty well-income, high-income demographic, but they are juggling so many balls, and especially women have become the centerfold of uh, many of the care decision-making. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether that, it's that kind of a patient, and let's say that is a woman that in her mid-30s, and she is an executive and she's taking care of her mother who's recovering from cancer. She's taking care of two children who need to be vaccinated. She has her own health to be taken care of. And she's juggling all of these in the midst of flying between airports and her executive career. Right. So the journeys and the accessibilities need to be equitable and they need to be integrated and they need to be smooth across whichever demographic that we are trying to serve. And hybrid, the future of care provisioning and care offering still will, will truly be hybrid. It'll be intramodal. It'll be multimodal. It'll jump between physical locations and a virtual visit, perhaps. The journey needs to be simple and it flows naturally. It's not as bumpy as it is today, still mm-hmm. jumping between systems and paperwork and trying to wait on phone calls for an appointment. So just all of that, the consumerization across all of those journeys has to happen. And, and that's very crucial. And that is something that we've been focused on in my career and some of my engagements. You know, I'll be lying if I said I didn't take a deep sigh when you were just giving that uh, woman's uh, example as an experience. It was like I, I could feel that pain, you know, and I think that's critical that we kind of focus more on a patient's touch point at every point of their life and how healthcare impacts them and how easy we need to make healthcare and accessibility to healthcare. So thank you for sharing that. Suja, you belong to the 14, 15 organizations. You've had a successful uh, chief executive career. What are some successful several transformations you've led in terms of patient experience, virtual care, AI that you would like to share with us? 
So I will I will start with saying the problem is enormous, right? So many industries or many companies, healthcare provider systems or payer systems or any one of these, they have done some work, but still the big heavy lifting still has to happen, right? And framing, okay, where do you start? How do you prioritize? What is going to give you the biggest yield? And what is priority? What is the business model? What is the business strategy of your company? We framed it as a, a four-point program, and then we enabled through various capabilities of course, value-based care has to be a fundamental business model shift. It's a mindset shift. It's an incentive shift. It's a business model shift. It also necessitates that we bring the consumer, the patient along with that, those modifications. But value-based care, so putting that as a, as a key foundational element, focusing on patient engagement for, and focusing on virtual health offerings, digital therapeutics and care provider experiences was a rough framework we used as we started doing our focus on digital health. And of course, wearables and devices, healthcare platforms, data and AI are all foundational to that. And, and like I said, we, we really put an emphasis on integrated experiences and personalized integrated experiences all the way from outreach during the days of vaccine. It was about outreach, getting the message out there, mm-hmm. getting appointments scheduled, having tools available to people and, and then using that foundational framework to then launch off into outreach and being found. Who is the right provider? Who's the right best care provider? What is their help score, right? Or what, whatever it is, the, the typical things that you and I would search in, in, a, in, a, in a consumer world. So, and, and then maybe some element of self-triage, doing some online, matching the right provider for the right condition to the right patient. Some element of paperwork that is free, that can be pre-done before your visit. Mm-hmm. And then the actual visit itself, whether it's a virtual visit or an in-person on-site visit, and then the post-visit follow-ups. So thinking that through, making sure the hybrid thought process, the intermodal, multimodal thought process there is thought through, voice, chat, internet of things, email, portals, mail, mobile, engagement centers or a call center, and making it or text-based messaging and the community aspect of it as well, because it's not just many people or the caregiving of many people is actually done by somebody else in the family. So including them as a part of the decision-making. So we put a lot of emphasis on all of that. We integrated a ton of digital therapeutics capabilities and infusing them into the workflows. Of course, our clinicians take a big lead in, uh, in, in all of these things because they have to make clinical sense from a workflow perspective. And of course, virtual care, we, we really amplified a focus on virtual care, not just for the external facing urgent care like capabilities, but also primary care on, on virtual capabilities internal within the acute facilities offering virtual care, whether it is it's a it's rounding, virtual rounding or virtual companion or virtual intensivist, virtual ER, so we virtual nursing. So we really put together a, a robust set of capabilities around virtual and and enabling command center constructs that can do many of the things that are done locally in a facility, but could be done in a, in a central command center mode. So we really took advantage of technology there. And of course, we did a ton of focus and work around value-based care, whether building capabilities, data, bringing together all the claims data, making sure that the consistency of processes, the contract rigors are put in place, the care managers have the right tools and the data so that we are able to serve the patients who are covered at risk 
and they get the best quality of care. So we did a ton of focus around uh, value-based care. But I would say AI is one of the major pushes, right? So I gave you the radiology example, but we also did other things. We uh, we took advantage of the, in the, despite the availability of compute capacity and the ability that we had in scaling across. And we, we were seeing roughly 20 plus million patients per year. And we had about 10 years worth of their history and we were able to bring that data together and being able to see the patient in their whole is crucial to giving them good care. But on that foundation, we stood up sepsis prediction. We stood up no-show prediction. So we had lots of different AI algorithms. We looked at algorithms as either clinical, administrative, or operational, and sometimes also personalization from a consumer perspective. So we classified and we had a set of robust set of backlogs that each was led by either a clinician or an operator or an administrator, and then we support it in, in making sure that those are built and delivered. I will say, I'll give one example. I'm on the board of Agendia, which is a breast cancer precision oncology company. So it's it's molecular diagnostics. We read the biopsy, the core biopsy and the tissue, and we read that and give recommendations, diagnostics recommendations back to the, the, the clinician. Mm-hmm. We are in the process of building the same capability digitally because we have these huge catalog of images and the learnings from those images. We are now building AI algorithm algorithms that then can provide that same response very quickly, right? 30 minutes, a quick read, early read while the full result is coming through. So those kinds of models are taking shape. We're applying AI in, uh, in value-based care, right? So that is another crucial crucial use case. And of course, the whole radiology, cardiology, oncology, software as a medical device use case, that is spanning and scaling significantly. So data and AI will continue to scale, will continue to make an impact. The better robust collection and and gathering and and managing of data, that is well underway. That's beginning to happen. And the the tools and technologies are beginning to happen. But I will tell you this, Smriti, I'm sure you feel that as a consumer, as a patient, for yourself or your family, but as in general, we have to protect the data. We have to build trust by means of making sure we are in compliance, that we follow the, the processes, the robust set of capabilities, the rules and the regulations that have been put in place. By means of protecting patient data, we then get the license to go do additional innovative things that will then in turn come back and help the patients and the clinicians alike. What I really captured was the simplification of healthcare, integrating all the players in the system, and how do we use technology ethically to make the impact the right time at the right place. Thank you so much for that answer. Suja, from the time I've known you, you've been strategic, you're operational, and you're clearly all about execution, which I love. So coming from a retail and healthcare background, you know, in the recent few years, I've seen the adoption of retail operations model in healthcare. What do you think is working and what is really not? The retailification is well underway, right? You, everybody, you can see a ton of message and content in the media focus around Walmart and Walgreens and CBS and Amazon. They all have multiple things going for them, right? CBS, the CEO spoke at JP Morgan. Her emphasis is they are at the intersection of three major aspects, right? So access to consumers. Mm-hmm. is one major aspect. Deep healthcare expertise across the spectrum of the retail pharmacy, 
the clinics that they have, the pharmacy benefits management, as well as the, the payer side. So deep, deep healthcare expertise, and then they have the ability so that they have shown that through the acquisitions and their commitment towards how they plan to take advantage of all the consumer touch points, the clinical engagements with consumers, and how they are going to amp up and ramp up. I think all these mergers and acquisitions are brilliant. So the theory of it intellectually it is very engaging, and the success will depend upon integration. It's going to come down to how well these organizations are able to build the technologies, build the data together, make sure the experiences are seamless, make sure that the the philosophies on which these integrations and, and mergers and acquisitions are being done come true through the integration execution. So I am positive. I think retail has gone through many disruptions in the last 15, 20 years. And so the consumerization brought by retail, as well as the other capabilities brought by retail have the potential to impact patients and give them a better offering while at the same time reduce cost. It's still a primary care game. Maybe some pockets of other other elements, health at home has been a focus for some of these companies as well. So more, yet yeah, more to come. Good start, good start, early beginnings, but more to come. So telehealth went from $306 million to $3.7 billion during the pandemic. What are some of your hopes and fears with virtual care? I led a lot of that effort for one of the largest providers at that time, right? I remember vividly, and we in a way led it for the industry as well. Clinical visits pretty much came to a halt. The only clinical visits that were happening were the highly escalated COVID cases. And so there was a need to support the patients through the time clinicians were available. The government stepped in and opened up reimbursements and parity of reimbursements. And of course, we stepped up and we enabled and put that together. And these technologies, these infrastructure, these are complex. Like I said, HIPAA protected, privacy protected, patient provider conversations and engagements so these are not easy. These take these take quite a bit of investments and planning and people training clinicians and, and giving education to patients. So it's first of all, that's the first thing, right? But then we prove we prove it at that point in time. But then we all came to the realization not every acuity level or not every condition is appropriate to go virtual. So um, we did, we literally sat down and our clinicians wrote down clinically appropriate for virtual visits. Hmm. And then the protocols were rewritten for clinically appropriate virtual visits and, and, and workflows were stitched based on that. And as a hybrid modality, it's here to stay and it's only going to grow. But in a particular geography, will that be the only modality? I don't think so. Because you need an ER room. You, if you have a certain uh, you have surgeries, you have to be in a physical location. I think somebody said that at JP Morgan, the babies need to come out somewhere. <laughs> and so it's not a virtual event. You right. have to have a, that's a very real in-person human event. And the data and the tech and the remote monitoring capabilities, internet of things, all of that, the tools need to improve, right? So some of the tools we have today already make it better. Cardiology, some of the some of the chronic conditions and ability to do remote monitoring and the chronic conditions has improved significantly. 
So that is enabling it. So I'm I'm very positive. It will be useful. It'll be a very crucial multimodal tool. It will be an experiential, experience-rich capability. People have gotten more comfortable with it. Some care categories like behavioral health have really taken off. And, and it's only going to scale carefully, thoughtfully, methodically. It will scale. So that this brings us to our last question. If you have to share three takeaways for the future of health, what would that be? Number one, focus on equity. Whatever we do, let's make sure that equity, and it's, it is equity for people, geographies, income demographics, equity across different conditions and care types. It is equitable for the provider as well. So equity has to be a major focus. It cannot be just solve the problem for one stakeholder at the expense of additional trade other stakeholders. Number two, focus on return on investments. I think we spoke about that before, quality access, cost, as well as it is about engagement of the providers. We cannot uh, do everything and then burn out the providers. So I think return on the whole equation across that multidimensional set of metrics I would say that has to be, uh, that has to come true. And then the number three, last but not the least, a fundamental shift to healthcare, not sick care, which is what value-based care, the thesis of value-based care is about. So I'll leave you with those three. Sujat, thank you so much for joining Health Forward. Your insights and your work are admirable, inspirational. So thank you so much for your time. Such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Smriti. It's a great pleasure. I enjoy talking to you. Thank you for listening. This is Health Forward Podcast, and I'm your host, Smriti Kirbanandi.